Well, it is good to be back with you this morning. Thank you for your welcome. And uh, thank you to the worship team. They do an amazing job. But I also want to say you guys do an amazing job. I was sitting down here up front as close as I could get. And uh, boy, this, is air, this air conditioning is right there. Here we go. I'm not being partial at all. I'm just getting out of the air conditioning. So I had a professor at seminary who said you can always tell the, the uh, spiritual strength of a church by how they sing. And what that tells me this morning is we have some very buff believers here. So thank you for participating in worship. Yes, give yourself a hand. I have a question for you this morning. Um, would you take a moment and think about one of your favorite Bible verses? Perhaps you even have it memorized. So just pause for a moment and consider, what is a Bible verse of yours that has been one that you've treasured over the years, that's been uh, helpful to you over the years? And once you get it in mind, ask yourself, where did I learn that? Who taught that to me? Was it something that just came out of my own devotional life? Was it something I heard or saw uh, online or on a blog? Where did you learn that? Just think, to that, uh, think about it uh, for yourself for a minute. Now, how many of you learned that from your mom or dad? Okay. Wow. A lot less than I would have guessed this morning. Good for you, though. There's a Bible verse, Psalm 1, that uh, I memorized as a young man. We were, as a family, heading up to Big Bear to go uh, snow skiing. Uh, my mom and dad owned a Volkswagen bus, one of those iconic uh, red and white Volkswagen buses, you know, that could never get uphill. And um, there were six of us in our family, six kids, mom and dad, and I remember whenever we would go up a hill and beat somebody going up the hill, in a delighted chorus, we would yell, you've been Volkswagen, as we would barely get past them. Well, we were driving up uh, to Big Bear. My dad got off work late at night, and so uh, we were driving in the dark, and it was storming like a Texas rainstorm. And I was driving. I was 16 at the time, so I was brand new to driving. And my mom was sitting next to me. And uh, she, uh, about, you know, we got to about, oh, Hemet. And we're driving on some back roads, you know, to get up there quicker. And uh, she turns to me and she says, are you doing okay? This was about 11 o'clock at night by that point. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine, doing good. She said, we're going to memorize some scripture. And I'm thinking, really? We're going skiing. And that night for about an hour, and we traded off drivers because, you know, at that point we had an older brother and my mom and dad also. She helped me memorize Psalm 1. And this morning as we talk about Mother's Day, I want to take you to a passage in, in uh, 3 John. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open them up to 3 John? And, uh, and moms, I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Uh, and boy, you deserve it, don't you? This is not an easy task to be a mom today. In fact, in honor of uh, Mother's Day, I want to, before we get to 3 John, uh, give you a sneak peek of the next Survivor TV series, because it kind of ties into what John has to say to us. So the next Survivor TV series is going to feature six dads dropped onto an island, and uh, each of them will have um, one car and four kids. Yeah, I could hear that was mostly the moms laughing. <laughs> so here they're on the island, six dads, one car each, four kids each. 
And uh, each child plays two sports, takes music or taekwondo lessons. And each man has to take care of the four kids, keep his assigned home clean, uh, check and correct all homework, and work on any science projects. There is no fast food on the island. So they need to do the, uh, the cooking and the laundry and run a part-time home-based business. And the men only have access to TV when all the kids are asleep and all the chores are done. And then there's just one TV and no remote. <laughs> they have to clean up after their, six uh, after their sick children at 3 a.m. and make a California mission model with 46 toothpicks, <laughs> a tortilla, and a marker. And they get to help a four-year-old eat zucchini. Now, if any of the men survive, they get to do this over and over and over again for 18 to 25 years, and finally earn the title mom. Now, by the way, this, yes. <laughs> this is a fictitious story, you guys realize that. But it would be so much fun to watch, right moms? So wearing the label mother is a sure guarantee that you're going to be put through the wash cycle and spun dry on a regular basis. One of the books I read when I was working on my doctoral thesis at Trinity Divinity School was uh, by the authors Stephen and Janet Bly. And they wrote a book called How to Be a Good Mom. And I, I love the image they chose for their book. Now, it's been reissued over, over the years, and so I, I couldn't even find the image for you this morning, but let me describe it for you. So on their book cover, they show the picture of a little three-year-old girl. So get that in your mind's eye. And her face is fixed in concentration, and her feet are firmly planted, and, and she's got her hands out, out uh, stretched, and in her hands, each hand has something in it. And in the right hand, there is a spray can of... Uh, lime green spray paint. And in her left hand is another spray can of searing yellow spray paint. And right below her right hand is a beautiful golden retriever, obediently sitting there. And she is perched on the front of his nose, a pair of sunglasses that are big white sunglasses, and he's looking over the top of them into the distance with a very pained look in his face. As she creates this beautiful work of art, of yellow and green, making his silky coat looking something like a fiery ombre hairstyle. Did I get ombre correct, by the way? Oh, good. Okay, I was not sure about the pronunciation on that. But inside of the flyleaf is this description. There's nothing easy about good mothering. It can be back-breaking, heart-wrenching, and anxiety-producing. And that's just the morning. If a gal is looking for the easy life, she might try teaching tennis, cutting diamonds, or joining a roller derby team. For there is nothing easy about good mothering. There's no innate quality in a mother that gives her delight in cleaning up vomit off the antique quilt. Let's face it, they write, if, house, if uh, housework was so fulfilling, if being cooped up in a house all day with little people or working in an office and coming home at night to dishes and discarded toys was such a sport, then why do we have such a difficult time finding anyone to take on any of these chores, even for small stretches of time when we so desperately need a break? 
They conclude, traipsing off to a dress shop with a best friend and $250 in your pocket, that's fun. Having a candlelit dinner at an exclusive restaurant overlooking the harbor, sheer delight. Putting another log on the fireplace, relaxing in an easy chair, and reading a novel without distraction, pure joy. And they say, mothering does have its pleasurable moments, but these come only with a total commitment of the will to weather all the sticky times in between. So moms, we recognize being a mom has never been easy. But I would like to recommend to you this morning one thing that makes it all worthwhile, totally worthwhile. And you're going to find it in 3 John, verses 1 through 4. So take your uh, Bibles, make sure you're open to 3 John. This would be a good opportunity to also pull open your uh, Trinity app. At the bottom of the page, you'll uh, be able to click on Resources and then select Sermon Notes for today. But in the first four verses of John, God tells us there is one thing that makes a mom smile broadly every single time it happens. One single thing. And this is what it is. It is for her children to know and live by the truth. That's it. It's like the durability of canvas compared to Kleenex. It's like the desirability of a, store, a porterhouse steak to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Walking in the truth is far better than anything else in the world that we could ever imagine for our kids. And so think about that for a moment. Moms, ask yourself, would it bring you joy if your children told you the truth rather than lie to you? Would that bring you joy? I guess it would. Would it make you feel good if your son offered your daughter the biggest piece of pie or pizza rather than being selfish? Sure it would. Would it please the socks off of you to have your son get a lower grade on a test because he refused to cheat by looking off the page of somebody next to him because he couldn't remember the answers? Yeah, of course, we would rather that he do the right thing. What if your daughter told an unsaved friend about Jesus Christ when she could have been silent? Would that bring you joy? Sure it would. We can think of so many life circumstances where if truth be known and if truth be obeyed, it brings a joy to a parent's heart. And as we look at 3 John, we discover that this is true. In fact, if you look on the screen, you have uh, on your notes the first point, and that is it is so much more exciting than watching our children's first steps to see their firm steps in the right direction. Why is knowing and living by the truth this one thing? So why would John write to Gaius and say to him, I have no greater joy than this, that my children know and walk in the truth. Why is that the one thing? Can you imagine in our world today how many other things that the world and maybe even we at times would throw into that slot? Think of all the things that our world values as most important, especially that our children receive. Things that um, are so multitudinous today that it would be tough to develop a short list. But John, in this passage, says this is the one thing that makes me glad, 
that brings joy to my heart. So why is truth that one thing? Well, it's because of the actual meaning of the word truth. You'll see on your screen that the word truth is the Greek word aletheia. Okay? In the Greek language, it's actually two words, and it helps us to understand. So in the Greek language, the, the letter A, or we would call it a word A, means no or not. We use it in words like agnostic, agnosis, to not know if there is a God or not. We use it in the word apathetic, to not have passion, to have a loss of feeling. John uses it here to describe what it means to know the truth. So if you could throw that back up there for a minute, guys. The A means no or not. The lathia means to forget. Think about truth that way. Truth to God is not forgetting. We'd use it in all kinds of phrases like, don't forget that your taxes are due on April 1st. That's a pretty important one. Don't forget to feed the animals. Every parent's response to their kids. Don't forget to buy the food for dinner. We never have a problem with that. Don't forget God and the right thing to do. Aletheia. My dad was a pharmacist. I started working for him when I was six years old. He paid me a penny a shelf to take all the prescription bottles off, wipe the shelf, put them all back on. I was a rich man. <laughs> he also liked to collect artifacts, so pharmacy artifacts. So he would get old mortars and pestles, you know, the kind that you grind things up in. He would have um, scales that you weighed things on because he was the type of pharmacist that did things by compounding. He would actually create the medicines for the doctors. He also had old bottles that were different colors and shapes, and one of them was an amber-colored bottle that had a skull and crossbones on it. And being young kids, we looked at that and went, ooh, that is cool, Dad. And he said, no, this is not the favorite pirate drink. <laughs> this will kill you. It actually contained a poison originally. They used it in medications in small doses. So the truth of the matter, truth, was that the bottle was deadly. Truth always describes things as they really are. If you notice on the screen, it describes what is actual or real, and it describes what is factual or right. That is truth. And that's why it originally, or later on, became uh, the idea of veracity. It shows what is truly there. It gives us the path to follow so you don't get lost. Um, I like the story of a, a gal named Marge Rippey. Marge Rippey. That's a great name. She saw this principal at work one uh, semester when she was visiting her, college, her uh, brother at his college. He was in a frat house. And so she was walking down the hallway, and she noticed that the uh, several dorm room doors um, had brightly colored handwritten post-it notes uh, on them. It was like a last-minute link of communication be between students. And as she went down the hallway, one of the, the doors had a lot of notes on them. They were brightly covered, uh, colored like this. And the first one that she uh, saw said, uh, Travis, I'm sorry, please call me. The second note, very close to it, said, Travis, I said I'm sorry, I mean it. Liz. There was a third note there that said, Travis, 
It doesn't help to run away. Liz. And then there was a fourth note. It was written on a different color post-it in more of a male handwriting. It was the reply. And it said, Liz, you have the wrong room, Mike. <laughs> Actuality and factuality. It matters. Truth matters, doesn't it? Well, as we take a look at Third uh, John this morning, I want you to notice a couple things. So let me read this for us. The elder, this is John speaking. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Pause for a second and realize that this is a very intimate, familiar, um, appreciative, affectionate relationship between John and Gaius. We don't know if they ever met, but reports came back to John on a regular basis. And, and he just loved this guy. And in verse 2, he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. And notice the next phrase, even as your soul is getting along well, it gave me great joy. The original word for the English word great here is the word mega, which is a, um, a unit prefix in the metric system, and it, it literally means a factor of one million. So he has these uh, these emotional jolts, jolts of, of pleasure in this relationship. It gives me great joy, he says. To have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. And this is the classic verse for us this morning. It's what we're focusing on. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So notice two things. Number one, Gaius has not been feeling well. And so John writes to him and prays that his physical health might mirror his soul health. I pray that you may enjoy good health, that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now think about this for a minute. This is a fascinating prayer. How often do you and I pray when someone is sick that their ailment might be altered? Isn't that the common way we pray? Uh, dear God, mom is not feeling well on Mother's Day. Please help her to feel better. And it's a great prayer. Lord, my son uh, broke his arm skateboarding. Would you pre please heal it quickly? Uh, Father, my friend just got COVID, and he needs your presence and restoration to health. But John, in hearing about Gaius, completely bypasses this kind of prayer, this standard prayer. And instead, what he prays for is physical healing on a much greater scale. Gaius, may your body feel as good as your soul. Imagine if we prayed that way for the people that we pray for. Why was Gaius's soul doing well? It was because of the truth. He knew it and he lived by it. Now notice secondly in verse 3. This is what John says. He connects the quality of our inner soul life with our understanding and practices of God's truth. Notice verse 3. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. So here's a note for you to write down. It's not on the screen, but I think it's a helpful one. It's this. The presence of a great soul 
is due to the presence of great truth. If our soul is going to prosper, it has to have great truth. There is no other alternative. There is no other means by which that can be accomplished. So the presence of a great soul goes directly back to that of a great truth. John reminds us in his gospel. John chapter 8, verse 32, you'll see it on the screen. This very familiar verse. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. And we, we apply this in so many ways. We apply it to sin and its consequences. The truth sets us free from that. It sets us free from guilt and shame. It sets us free from sorrow and regret. It sets us free from inner turmoil and fears. It's freedom for our souls. Liam loved warheads. Anybody here like warheads? Sour candies? Liam loved them. But he didn't get them very often because he lived in a home where they lived on a very strict budget. He was with his mom and he. It was just the two of them. But every time he would pass the checkout counter at the grocery store as his mom paid with CalFresh cards, his eyes would fix on that candy right there. And it's, it's really great wrapping. And he would think of the flavor of warheads. Well, one day, Liam met Noah. And Liam was in first grade. Noah was in fourth grade. And for some reason, Noah took an interest in Liam. So he made sure that Liam was included in the kickball games during recess. He had a special place uh, at the table, lunch table for him next to Zach and he. And one morning, Noah pulled Liam aside and said, hey, do you got any money? And Liam said, no, no, we don't have much money at our house. He said, well, I know where you could get some. When you go home today, take a look in your mom's purse or in her top dresser drawer. I'll bet you'll find something there. And when you do, come back and I will buy you some warheads. Well, warheads sounded great to Liam. So he went home that day got into his mom's dresser, and sure enough, there was a $20 bill tucked underneath the clothing on the right-hand side. He bit his lip, swallowed his fears, put it in his pocket, and went to meet Noah. And later on, as he's savoring the foamy flavor of the warheads, he wondered, why do I feel so sad inside? Why am I so nervous? Why do I feel so ashamed? And what he didn't realize was that he was the victim of both persuasion and perspective. He didn't even know that guys like Noah existed. And yet he fell for Noah's persuasive words. What would have made a difference for Liam? He had known the word of God and chosen to obey it. Thou shalt not steal. I'll be honest with you, I had to learn that the hard way. When I was uh, about six years old, I was in the grocery store with my mom. I loved those multicolored packs of Lifesavers. You guys ever enjoy those? Yeah? They were sitting right there. My mom had five other kids to keep an eye on, and I just reached out and took it off the counter and put it in my shelf, in my uh, pocket. We got back in the Volkswagen van, and I made the mistake of my life. I pulled them out. <laughs> and with five other brothers and sisters, they went, hey, Lifesavers, where'd you get those? <gasps> Exposed. My mom has a long arm, even when driving. <laughs> and she reached back and said, I'll take those. 
and she turned the van around, and guess where we went? Back to the store. She walked me into the manager and said, Doug, tell him what you just did. Oh, gosh. I was so ashamed. I was so nervous. But I confessed, I repented, and I have not stolen Lifesavers since. <laughs> no, well, no, nothing else either, thankfully. <laughs> that cured me of that. Notice what King David writes in Psalm 40. He says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. What a great prayer. He goes on to write in Psalm 51, and by the way, Psalm 51 is after he murdered the husband of Bathsheba, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, God got his heart through the, Nathan, uh, the prophet Nathan, same kind of thing, he was the manager. And David wrote Psalm 51 after his repentance, and here's what he says. Verse 1, Surely you desire truth in my inmost parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And then Daniel applies this on a national level in Daniel 9.13. It should be up on the screen for us here in a minute. He writes, just as it is written in the law of Moses. Notice where he starts his commentary. It's embedded in the word of God. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all of this disaster has come upon us. The destruction of Jerusalem, the desolation of the land, the exile, the deportations, the slavery. All of this has come upon us, yet... We have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to the truth. Oh, that America would heed these words today. So let me wrap up with two major points. How can our children learn these truths from us? Moms, this morning, if you're asking yourself the question, hey, I've got kids, how do I train them to know Jesus Christ? How do I train them to be a good citizen? How do I train them to love God and love others? What can I do? Well, we do the same thing that Jesus did with his disciples. What did Jesus do with his disciples, if you think about it? There were two major things that he did. He did miracles. He did works of good. He demonstrated his power, which contributed to appreciating and agreeing with his message. But he did things. And then he would talk to his disciples. Here's what this means. This is why I'm doing this. This is why it's important to do this. And so as, as moms and dads, but in particular, as we spend time with our kids, number one, our children can learn to walk in the truth when they see it modeled. They just see it modeled. They see it happening in active ways in the home. Look back at 3 John, verse 3. It great, gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. How did John learn about Gaius? Some brothers came from that church and they said, you have got to meet Gaius. This guy lives the truth of God. His behavior is exemplary. We've seen him model it for all of us. Moms, your walk with God, as your kids observe it, will be one of the best keys to your child's spiritual development and emotional well-being. And I know that every one of us has concerns about, well, I can't be perfect. No, God doesn't want us to be perfect. All he wants us to do is take the word and act on it. 
So here in 3 John, God walks up to our refrigerator doors and he swipes them clean. Of all of the magnets and all of the, the um, post-it notes and the uh, lists and everything else, and in its place, he puts a single 3 by 5 card that says this. A good mom is a woman who pursues God, his truth, and acts on what she knows to be true. It's that simple. Study it. Live it. Teach it. Second, our children can walk in the truth when they hear it mentioned. When we just talk about it. Notice on the screen Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. And I love this because this passage talks to both moms and dads. So dads, you don't get off on Mother's Day. This is for us too. Solomon is writing to his oldest son. And he says, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you uh, awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp, and this teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life. Now, keep in mind, right, this is not a guarantee that our kids are always going to turn out the way we hope they will. We know that's not true. And it's not a place to find regret. It's not a place to say, oh, gosh, I wish I'd done that when they were younger. Or I did that, and they really didn't follow those commands. Because you, you notice, if you go back to this slide on the screen, if you can throw it back up there, guys, what is the majority of this passage? It's to the son. And secondary to that, ancillary to that, is the command that comes from dad and the teaching that comes from mom. And by the way, they're different. God says... A husband's place, a dad's place, is to kind of set out the rules in conjunction with his wife. But he's the authoritarian in a sense. And the mom comes alongside, and her job is to teach what has been set out, to give guidance, to give instruction. So it's not a place to linger in regret. It's not a place to say, this will always happen. But it is a place for us to put application to seek to do something different in our lives. Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them with your word. Your word is truth. Do you know what the word sanctify means? What was that? Yes, to set aside, to set apart as something holy, unique, one of a kind. So I brought with me this morning something that was holy. Let me take the post-it notes off of it. You may be looking at this thinking, Doug, is that the uh, lost Ark of the Covenant? <laughs> no. That would be quite a find. But this is a holy object. And what we have really is my beef jerky dryer. <laughs> you say, that is not holy. <laughs> Come on. No, it is. And the reason it is is because it has never been used for anything else but beef jerky. Now, I have been asked by my daughters and wife to dry flowers in here. And I've been asked to dry fruits and vegetables in here. And each time I've said, no, honey, it's holy. She's finally real realizing that that is true. But what I love is the scent of beef jerky. 
Nothing else goes in here. It is dedicated to one sole purpose, three times a year. I'll tell you what those are some other time. Holiness means to take something and set it aside. And women, you do this with all kinds of stuff in your home. My wife has her grandmother's china. Do we use that every day for eating at the table? Oh, no, you bet we don't. That's set aside for special occasions. Guys, we do this with tools. <clears throat> Friend comes along, hey, can I buy your or borrow your uh, worm drive skill? <laughs> Sorry. No, you can't do that. There are things that we reserve. And God says that when the truth gets embedded in the life of a child, God begins to set them aside for himself. And that's the incredible value of truth. It makes us hagios. By the way, it was interesting. As I was typing this into my Mac computer this week, it auto-corrected hagios to haggis. Oh, that odious Scottish brew. It's not the same thing. Hagios is set aside for God, specifically. So moms, when you take God's word and you share it with your kids, when you model it with your kids, and that's all that's required, the outcome is up to God. The outcome is up to their choices. God begins in some special way to say, I'm going to impact that child for me. I'm going to begin to set him aside, her aside for me. And you'll have done your job as a great mom and leave the rest up to God. And if they respond, it sets them on a course to see their life completely changed. Let's end with this. Go back to the verse you picked this morning. The one that has been a favorite of yours, how has it changed your life? What has it done for you in the course of your everyday activities? When has it come to mind that God's Spirit has said, you need this verse? One of my favorites is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Any of you moms feeling that way this morning? Don't raise your hands. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what God wants his word to do for us. He wants us to model it and to mention it to our kids and let God do the rest. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we've taken some time in your word this morning in just a, a, a short passage, but I feel like it is so representative of what you are doing in our hearts, whether we are moms this morning or dads or young people or collegians or whatever it might be. Father, we have the privilege of having the written word of God, the digital word of God, that we can go to and let it saturate our souls and produce such a health, such a vibrancy, that it changes the dynamic and perspective of our lives so that when we enter our workplace, when we get up in the morning and enter our world, it changes how we look at life. It changes who we are. And God, we want to thank you for your gift, not only of the Word of God, but the Word in Jesus Christ, who came and said, this is the reason I'm here, is to testify to the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one can come to the Father but through me. So God, this morning, may we commit ourselves anew to pursuing the truth of God. May we find the delight that it gives us. And Father, may we worship you because it truly is good. Amen.